Phantasm Advent Day 16, Planetary by Warren Ellis. I'm not really a superheroes fan. I guess then Planetary is the perfect series for that because it's not really a superhero story. It's a parody of a lot of different kinds of superheroes. Uh, there is an overarching plot, which is the planetary organisation, which they exist to uncover and preserve the weird. And um, right in the first few issues, we have a, a sort of um, turn-of-the-century, Doc Savage-type supergroup encountering a fractal designer of, um, you know, something like several billion universes that are are represented by an enormous crystal of a very specific shape and realise that they are under threat of invasion by the superheroes from alternate dimensions. Uh, then you have going to um, a Japanese island that is home to gigantic creatures that are basically the, um, the origin of all the kaiju myths. And you have ghost cops taking their revenge on um, gangsters. You have people in secret facilities being experimented on where the facilities are guarded by gigantic ants who have mutated as a consequence of the weird experiments that happen. There is the uncovering of a shift ship, which is a ship that travels through space and time. There's an encounter with Sherlock Holmes. There's one episode with a, um, a Superman in, in tights swelled by various disgusting fluids that's basically Warren Ellis's massive middle finger to DC as far as I can tell and I think it comes about because he wasn't allowed to use profanity when he did some Hellblazer issues. A lot of these episodes are set pieces and they're fun to read and they're a bit strange. It does form a coherent narrative but it's mostly poking fun at superhero genre and it's more of a sort of superhero espionage thing rather than superheroes outright because um, Elijah Snow heading up the planetary organisation is directly opposing a group of four characters who are called the Four and somehow went on a um, an extraterrestrial mission and were transformed as a consequence. Um, so obviously it's the Fantastic Four, but it's it goes so far beyond that. Um, and Snow is waging war against uh, the Four who are also... You know, they it's suggested they're incredibly powerful, wealthy, and well-connected. And there's this weird spy versus spy thing going on. But what the four are doing are also racing to the little nuggets of weird and powerful artefacts and things that will give them additional leverage in this world. So they want the shift ship. They want to intercept the um, Kryptonian who lands in a particular cornfield somewhere in Kansas. They're well worth reading. Uh, I particularly like the episode where um, Ambrose, where Ambrose Chase, who was a uh, supposedly a forerunner of Elijah Snow, uh, disappears from existence after attacking a secret spy mastermind's base, where they captured a spaceship that's ventured into a fictional universe, and something has um, bled out of that universe and come to our space. And Warren Ellis just basically went crazy and wrote whatever he liked. One of the nice things about this sequence is you can read from start to end and it doesn't take too long. Um, there's only 27 episodes. And I can tell you right now that um, a lot of the earlier stuff that happens resolves in a really satisfying way right to the end. It's a really nice self-contained story arc. But it's not a superhero story. It has superheroes in it. Um, although they're much more like anti-heroes in that they are interested in a particular agenda that is maybe not worthy or maybe not even serving humanity the way that humanity deserves to be served. 
So like I said, it's more of a sort of spy espionage thing. And I guess that's the, partly the point, because one of the reasons I never got into superheroes and one of the reasons I don't really care for the world of darkness is that uh, if it becomes all about the powers, if it becomes all about the sort of the fighting and stuff, um, that's incredibly boring. But the uh, Marvel's shown us that, that the whole point about superhero fiction is it's not just to be superheroes, it's to tell the story of coming of age or war stories um, or tragic doomed romances and it can happen at different scales. And so I appreciate it an awful lot more now than I did, but um, mostly I'm, I I caught on to the superhero now that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the zeitgeist and that's because they've written quite an effective and successful range of um, movies which uh, you know have mainstream appeal and I'm nothing if not mainstream anyway one of the things though that um, that is in planetary one of the one of the central points about some of the characters is they are um, what's known as I'm not sure if they're century babies or centurions the idea is that they are that at least Elijah Snow and, and some of the other characters like um, peripheral characters like Jenny Sparks who's not a planetary character um, she appears in the authority and various other things um, they were born at a particular time at the turn of the century, and as a consequence, they have powers. Now, of course, this is the uh, the whole concept of Spirit of the Century, the only Fate game that I've ever really been excited by, and I wasn't excited by it quite enough to run it or play it. And my understanding is it's a fairly early and clunky version of Fate, but on the other hand, it has so much heart to me, the idea that you know, you're playing... Um, characters who were born at a particular time and therefore entrusted with a certain destiny and it plays into the whole sort of sort of early 20th century pulp type stuff which um there is um was it doc brass i think is the character in planetary obviously there's there's uh, and, and that's um kind of riffing off doc savage but also doc brass is this um he's got a very close cut red hair and is is much more gun toting so he's like sort of combination of doc savage and um buck rogers i guess um but yeah there's a lot of the heart of um some of the sort of the 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 early characters who appear in the timeline in planetary are also it's also represented in spirit of the century and it's kind of a game i really wanted to love um i really liked i really thought it looked terrific on the shelves when i saw it in game shops because it was like it was you know digest sized and, and pulpy had a lovely pulpy color amongst a whole load of other much bigger hardback books so you could tell it, it really stood out and um also the other reason i really liked it is because they did a kindle version quite early and so it was way easier for me to read it cover to cover i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of games that have an EPUB version and not just a PDF, an EPUB version. The reason being that um, for the to absorb the information in a in a role-playing game, you probably want to read it from cover to cover. A mark of how accessible it is is going to be if you strip out all the art and just have you know a few tables, but otherwise it's just the text, and then you read it on an ebook, how much sense does it make then? If it makes sense, it's probably a good book. And then you can digest it on the first read through and then go back to the big ver big format version with the artwork and everything. And then you can say, well, actually, these are the tables I need to reference. These are the important pages. But yeah, I'm, I do very much like my eBooks, uh, partly for the portability, but I think that it is a shame that more role-playing 
houses don't actually properly embrace the ebook format. Kevin Crawford was pretty good at that, and and he freely admitted that um, his ebooks were a bit ropey in terms of formatting, but they still worked. And so I read things like Silent Legions and uh, Starvation Cheap for Stars Without Number on an e uh, in ebook format, and I engaged with them an awful lot more than a lot of other role playing games I've read as a result. Um, it's a big, it's a usability thing, quite frankly. Anyway, um, back to planetary. Yeah, it's worth your time. It's got a lot of humour. A lot of the, a lot of the text is taking the piss out of superheroes, even though they're ostensibly superheroes. A lot of the superhero appearances are parodies, or knowing twists on the concept that uh, you know they're, they're callbacks to say, you know, these these guys are these are the Green Lanterns and these are the Fantastic Four. Um, but they're not, and they're not just silly, they're actually menacing and credible factions, but at the same time they do poke fun at the absurdity of superheroes in some cases. So yeah, recommend it. You can get a um, single bind up, I think I bought it for my brother one year for his birthday. It's a good looking book. Anyway, um, I guess it's time for the next advent calendar. Let me... Um, No, oh, what have we got here? Oh, it's a severed demonic claw. Well, I'll have that fitted later. All right, thanks for listening. Speak to you later. Fictoplasm Podcast. Words by Ralph Lovegrove, music by Chris Zabriskie. Find out more at fictoplasm.net. Mm-hmm.